This is the third part or third episode of the Unbelievable House series. Today, I am here with Jay Cole. He was formerly a deacon at Believer's House for Y Ministries, and he attended the church from 2000, from 2000 to 2007. And he is here to tell his story and expose Bernard Cheney. How are you doing today, Joel? Jay, my bad. <laughs> oh, that's okay. All good, Andrew. How about you? Doing good. Thank you for coming on the show. I've been excited for this. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes, of course. And yeah, as we get to the interview, basically what I've been asking every person a part of this series is how did you get involved with the church? That's a great question. So <clears throat> the church is located in Norfolk, Virginia. That's a huge military town, home to the largest naval base in the world. Oh, wow. Yes, that's uh, that's like the home station of the Navy, right? So so my I was married at the time, and I was out to sea. I grew up in, in a church, and my wife, we were newlyweds, and we were going to churches trying to find our fit. And we really, we were attending, but not, didn't make it like a ch church home. I'm probably going to use a lot of colloquialism indicative of those who are familiar with the church but a, finding a church home is basically being rooted and saying I'm gonna commit myself here and develop a relationship with the church and the other parishioners and her mother we so we were married and her mother also lived in Norfolk and at one point in time before my wife and I were married, we all stayed in the same apartment complex. They knew my comings and goings, and they knew that I was interested in developing a closer relationship with God. I wasn't really attached to a church label or denomination or whatever have you. So while I was out to sea, my wife, uh, she writes me, because this is like back in like 2000, 99, 2000. <laughs> so not really, internet wasn't really big. So... She writes me and was like, I started going to church with my mom and this church that she is attending is fantastic. And he stopped, the pastor stopped me and he prophesied to me. Okay, so I'm not sure if you're familiar with prophecy or prophesying or the, guess, the perspective of Western culture, Christianity and evangelism light. But in evangelism, light churches, right? But prophesying is basically a minister or someone with a normally with a title telling you more about your life than you have told them, right? Essentially, okay? Not necessarily into the future, but just like peering in. It's like opening a door or peeking into a blinder and you had no idea that someone had done it, and you're like, oh, you're caught off guard. He started saying things, personal things to, to her, and she felt a draw, okay? Fast forward, I come home. I was on a six-month cruise at this time, so obviously I'm a Navy veteran. forgot to tell you. I'm a Navy veteran. I come home, and everybody's excited about this church. Now, this church is predominantly African-American, and so the black church has a unique perspective within the fabric of American history. In college, one of my professors who taught black history said that church was the first place 
that the black man could be CEO. <clears throat> and he's completely in charge. That's very important going forward, both for my story and I'm sure for plenty of others, right? This man is in charge. The color thing is just a niche, but this person's in charge. Okay. I was drawn to the church because one, it was full of people in the military, but two, most of them were young. I think at the time that I was going, like the oldest person was in their 50s that went to the church. But most of us were 20s and 30s. And you felt a draw and it was, of course, all of the honeymoon, right? At the beginning where, come on, we're having a barbecue. Come on, we're going to pass out flyers. Come on, we're just going to have a pool party and kick it and have a great time. And that's how I got in. I, I had a desire at the time I was 20, 21 to find a church home because at that time for me, that was synonymous with being like in a right standing with God. I grew up in a Christian home or at least attending church. And my mother was an evangelist and my every family was sympathetic to church and or attended church, right? So Christian or Christian adjacent. That's how I began going to the church. And of course, what kept me was like the relationships with people that I began to develop. And so how did, do you know how Cheney got these other people to go to this church? Right. So I call him Bernard. So Bernard, he, he used the same tactics. Like he understood the culture of young people, right? Away from their family, detached from their family that grew up in church and kind of needed connection, right? And so he had a mixed bag of tricks. Like I said, everybody's invited to the cookout. Everybody At first, everybody's invited. He's playing at that time gospel rap, which is the 20 years, 20 something years ago was not accepted in every church. It was, he really went out of his way to connect with young people. Right. And another another tool he used was with any cult, you got to have other people right to validate. So the other people were saying, oh, he's fantastic. He's a real prophet and he's really cool. And he's got certain cosigns from other local pastors, even all the smoke, smoke and mirrors. And if anyone is listening and they're familiar with the Hampton Roads area, and they've been there for a period of time and attended church that they've probably heard of the Rock Church. It's one of the largest churches in Hampton Roads. And then another one is Calvary Revival. It's probably one of the big top 20 biggest churches. And those two churches previously went they were located in the same building that we were having church in at at Believer's House. So there was this, this feeling that this church is moving in the same direction and so far as growth and success and, and being validated as a real ministry from that standpoint. 
And I know that you were a deacon at this church. So what led you to get that role and what did that role entail? And what did you see behind the scenes and of Bernard? Yeah, that that took a long time. And the reason why I think it took a long time was because and it's not, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. Nobody needs to be on any pedestals at all. We're all the same, the same person. It's not, no, I don't believe in that. But I, a lot of people who go to church don't actually read the Bible for themselves. But I, I love to read. And when I was younger, I just, I read the Bible and I read it like as like, the Odyssey, this this big adventure. I love big, like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series with C.S. Lewis, the Red Wall series. I was a huge, I was an avid reader, and the Bible appealed to me, and I could see real-world applications in it, and I think because I was immersed in it. But he picked up on that. At the look at hindsight being 2020, he picked up on that. And so it took a long time for me to get in a place of leadership. Now, let me explain quickly how that happens. This is a military town. Most, you've been in, you've already been indoctrinated in the military, right? So half his work is done. All he has to do is run the church with rank and file, like a military. They understood being promoted, right? So he used the same language. He didn't even try to like, he just copied the homework and didn't change anything, right? You've been promoted to deacon. Most of the time it's an election. To do, You've been elected to become a deacon. His language, you've been promoted to deacon. You've been promoted to missionary. You've been promoted to elder. You've been promoted to minister, right? In order to do that, you got to put work in, work. Most of the time, you got to, most, for most people, it was work. Hey, you got to do work. And what I've learned, aside from that, if you had a certain level of trust with him and you had money, it was almost like you could buy the position because, okay, now you're a deacon. As a matter of fact, I wasn't really like a, a true deacon when I started out. I was a junior deacon. I don't even know who else does like junior deacon. It sounds like something you do for kids at like vacation Bible school. But it's, I started out as a junior deacon. And I think it was almost like he, I forced his hand. He had to do it. The reason why was everyone else had been promoted around me, all of my peers. So it was like, uh, you can only say the Lord said, because he used to say, the Lord is telling me, nah, not now. Now's not the time. Everything was the Lord is telling me. So I finally make it to junior deacon. And it's just in, in terms of like dignity and respect. It was like I said, it was, there was a very strong correlation to rank and file in the military. So uh, lots of work, building trust. Okay. And taking a certain level of humiliation, honestly. And in what way is did he humiliate you personally? That's a great question. So he, the humiliation had a few purposes, but for me, in general, the humiliation came in creating division because in the rank and file, if you did, let's say you were at church and you didn't want to do something, right? And a minister told you, 
And he'd be like, boy, I'm a minister. You listen to me like the military. So it was like, know your place in humiliation. But for personally going back, have, knowing and understanding, having understanding about the Bible, he used to be, he used to say, you know, you're like, you're like a nerd with no street credibility in a sense. It's, yeah, you know all about the Bible, but you don't like have this fantastic anointing that the other people do around you do, right? So I'm like, okay, now I, it's important to know too that he called himself prophet and he lays hands on people. All of this was very convincing. Now, I, and I'm willing to say some of it may have been real at the start of things, but the further you get behind the scenes or the longer you get behind the scenes, the more things start to sound the same. It was to the point as a churchgoer, same sermons packaged differently. Like I can name five, and I'm pretty sure whoever you talk to, they can name like five sermons. And it's, and the reason why they can name them is because he's going to say them, like he's going to give it out every, every year, every so often. Knowing the, knowing the word, but not having the anointing. Now that's going to be a general term that you hear a lot or whatever. Not having the anointing was something that was like a form of humiliation. Oh, it doesn't matter how much word God hasn't anointed you to say this or do this or, and to, I'm sure you'll ask me more questions. I could go further into that, but yeah, that, that was like my personal humiliation. You're just a Bible nerd. You're not like anointed. Like you're like a little boy who likes to do, you know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. He made you feel bad because of your role. Basically, it sounds... He didn't make me feel bad. He created a perception in the minds of everyone around me. Oh, and, Yeah, so it wasn't that I was humiliated because I was very, I was very strong. And I, so many layers, of course, with that, like with every, every goal. Some of the personal things that I learned later on was he had a certain jealousy comparing himself like to physical aspects of my body and how I look, and he was also very insecure. So, like, that's another thing. Men and women talking, big no-no. Can't do it. Well, Can't do it. If And he had people, he encouraged, like, snitching, right? Tell me if you see someone looks like it's flirting or fraternizing and stuff like that. We're trying to get all of these, clean the church up with demons and lust spirits and all of it. You, you could hear that a lot to the point where you went to church with people for years and you knew nothing about them, but you spent hours around them. Like you spent more hours at the church than you did at home around these people that you didn't really know. And so while you were at the church, at what point did you really start to question the legitimacy of Bernard and his role at the church? When did you see, finally see that he was a fraud and that he was toxic? So there was, so there was a series of events. So there was a young lady who, became, I'll say the name because it's public, she, she made it public, went to the news station. 
by the name of of Desiree Johnson. I think she's Desiree Savage now, but she went to the local news station. I believe it was like Wavy 10. And she alleged that Bardard Cheney had forced her into performing sex and taking her money right under the auspice of this is what spiritually good for you. Right now, objectively speaking, I think Desiree was a very attractive woman. Right, if you're that, if you know, if you you believe in beauty, right? Yeah, yeah. So you got to believe in ugly because you yes. can't have beauty without ugly, right? So yeah, we have us. We have us. So when that when that happens, he spent so much time around this woman inviting her to his home, going on trips, being chauffeured, like all of these things, right? So these series of events and then her coming out and saying that was what really drove me to say, yeah, there's something going on. I don't know where it starts and stops when it comes to Desiree, but there was something going on now. Now, there were things that happened previous to that, okay? So the first incident that most people that you talk to, they that you interview, they may or may not know, there was a couple early. These are, There are different eras in the church, right? So the late 90s, early 2000s, that's where I fell at. I was like the second wave of people. My family was like the second wave of people who came in. And there was a couple there, and as early as like 2002, 2001, uh, there was a lady now, broken down, leadership is broken down by sexes, right? If you're a male in leadership, you're going to be a deacon or an elder. If you're a woman, you're going to be a missionary or an elder, but deacon and missionary, right? So there was a couple that was a deacon and a missionary. And one of the, the deacon, I had a good relationship with him. We talked a lot. He knew a, a lot about the Bible, right? More than the average person around us did. They were just being led by the anointing. They didn't know the word. They just, someone was, was validated them by saying that they were anointed. And so they ran with it. His, his wife said, I caught, Bernard trying to look up my skirt during a sermon and she's at at first she was like I know I'm not tripping out but then he made some other type of advance and so it was then that they just got kicked out and I later actually was stationed with this woman right and so she told me she said hey my husband would like to talk to you now whenever a person is leaves the church, right? Not on good terms. They're like blackballed, right? Because they have a curse on them. They left the ministry and this ministry is so anointed, it's going so far, right? That this is the theory that you to leave, you obviously have to have a curse on you. Something has to be like wrong for you to even think that you could do better than this, so to speak, okay? I'll say his, his first name is Michael. 
And Michael was like, Jay, why do you think it took you so long? He asked me about how I was doing. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I can still go to church. And he was like, Jay, I want you to really be careful. And he was like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, you know, just growing. The church is growing. And I'm a junior deacon now. He's like, oh, you're a junior deacon. Okay. Because he was a deacon, right? So he was like, and when did you become a junior deacon? And I said, oh, like a few months ago, something like that. So he's like, why do you think it took so long for you to like get a title, gain a title? And I was like, I, I don't know the anointing. I don't know. Like just regurgitating what was told. And he was like, no, it's because in, le in the leadership meetings, then he's going to say all kind of things. And he knows that if he doesn't have you in check, you would probably say something. And I was like, okay, now, Mike, he never gave me any reason to distrust him. He told me his experience, his wife's experience. And I didn't just shrug it off. I kept these things with me. And so it was that. And then it was just little things that I saw, like stuff that's obvious, like in front of you. He's married. So this is a, he's married. He's lives with his wife they have missionaries like living like eight women at a time like living in their home like it's ridiculous like it's like in your face right the issue is he preaches so vehemently against lust and fornication and uh -huh. adultery yeah and the fact that he's a he's married it's almost like the reverse beard. Yeah. You know what I mean? It couldn't possibly be happening because what woman, his wife seems to be a sound mind. Yeah. His mom lived in the house. He had a, this mm -hmm. really big home. His mom, his uncle. Wow. Why would we ever think that? So the, when the whole thing with Desiree happened, my radar was on. And at that time, I was like, you know what? Nobody is perfect. And I'm still like, that. nobody is perfect. I don't know what happened. But that thing with Desiree quickly, it spiraled out of control. It's it's like someone receiving death threat, right, online, all because you did or said something against their team or something. They were like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, you don't like the Boston Celtics. I'm going to kill you. you. You're dead. Your kids or your dog is dead. Wow. And it was like, shun this person. It got really deep. Like, it got really deep. And ever since then, well, by that time, I was a deacon. I was like his personal security. I was part of this travel team. He had all these different positions, right? And it's, hey, keep you close to monitor you or utilize you in the manner I want to utilize you. So that was like the, that's what really got my, my radar up. And so what... Did you actually witness Bernard abuse anyone? Yes. So verbally, I certainly did. So now some of my colleagues, they either had children in the academy, the Voice of Believers Christian Academy, which is the school, or or they worked there, right? But my children, I had children, but my children didn't go there and I think there's a good reason. They weren't yeah. accepted into that school, but mm -hmm. my grandmother, God rest her soul, she was a high school English teacher for 40 years. 
my grandmother, when she was alive, she was like five, eight. She was a black woman, very, very successful for the time that she came up in. She was one of the first black teachers in Yuba County in California. She knew what bad education would look like. Yeah. And so he was always, he moved very, he was, a, he's a very calculating person. So he knew that they can go to daycare, like daycare or whatever, but actual school, no, they cannot go. He, he, they can't, even if I had the money, he wouldn't allow them to go because he knew my grandmother would, he, she'd have a microscope on it. But I, th there was this one time following the whole Desiree thing, <clears throat> her husband at the time threatened to kill him. So he heightened his security and all that. And yeah, I was staying at the house in his sunroom, no bed, no nothing, sleeping on the floor in service to the man of God. Oh, yeah. And just like being so deep and so just entrenched, yeah. right? And one, there was a missionary state and she was very loyal, very faithful, stayed there for a long time, suffered a lot of abuse. I remember him coming to the sunroom where me and the rest of the security team was like three other deacons. And one of the missionaries had, I guess, been caught kissing one of the, he's actually a good friend of mine, one, one of the guys who had been there for a long time in and out of the church. And he was like, what should I do with this slut? And he was like, he took off his belt. Oh, He's going to give her a whooping. Uh, yeah, calling her out her name and it just it was a couple of times like he said it in that interaction what should we do with this slut this whore who is just just thinking that the man of God won't find out or whatever and this person and I always practice anonymity so I'm not going to say names unless I've been cleared to say names because it's a lot just scratching the surface but yeah, this this person had been intimate with Bernard before but then a jealousy thing. That right there alone, just abusing. Now, she was older. She was over 18, but she wasn't when she first came there. You know, she first came there. I think she was in her, te in her wow. teens. And so she was, she caught a late grooming. Yeah. And, and so it was, to, and as it was a lot, there was a lot of females, ladies who went through that. And that was like blatant like out in the open, I'm not hiding anything, but that's because he trusted you enough to, or felt like he had you in check enough to say and do these things. There's that. Now he, now this is a form of abuse and it's consensual, but it's not because most of the times it was under duress. He used to play these games like fear factor. Okay. Now this is, we started in, in 2000. This is like in, years later, like in 2005, 2006, he starts to really just got get out of control, right? Now, he's got, he would say, God has told me you need to quit your job. You need to get out the military and work for the church, work for the kingdom. Because he prophesied that this place is going to go big, grow really big, and People had faith in him. They had trusted, believed what that what he was saying 
was true. So people sold their homes, quit their jobs, went to the extreme. I'm one of them. I'm not ashamed to say it. I didn't do all that, but I did go to the extreme, like by mm-hmm. selling all the furniture in my house. Oh, wow. At one point. And it was mm-hmm. like, almost like to prove a loyalty thing. You know what yeah. I mean? So at this point, he's got you where he wants you because you work for the church, right? You're supposed to get paid. Even if you did get paid, it was not enough to live on. So there was no commune. I'm pretty sure that he was trying to get there to get to a point. I really feel like he got in his own way a lot of times. But you lived in properties that were rented. They never really owned anything, but rented out by the church. And... You would give up all of your money. A lot of these people were disabled veterans with compensation from the military, right? They yeah. they have a disability, an injury. Yeah. So they were giving their check. Like, this is just like easy money for him uh, just coming in. Hey, oh come God. and say this. And it looks great, right? Because let me tell you how that happens. It happens in a grand fashion. It's not, hey, some, take this little corner of an apartment. It's a five-bedroom house in Chesapeake, Georgia, which is a, a nice, uh-huh. they have big homes in Chesapeake. Yeah. And God told me to bless you with this help. You're not getting a deed. It's not bad. You just, and so like you, you move your family in and sit six months, you know what? The story changes, right? Now, different situations that by that time have been birthed. Like, hey, maybe you're a man and you're married, your wife, works for the church though right so all it takes is one time to couple come up on hard times and he can gauge where you're at financially because he's going to get it out you right these guys are professionals wow. he's they're they scam yeah. professionals right so he gets you right where he wants you and then it's another form of humiliation because he knows that you need money you need sustenance he knows that whatever you're getting paid isn't enough he knows that because he pays you Every all the money runs through him. Yeah, you're doing crazy, stupid stuff that could injure you, risk your life, degrade you. Yeah, for fifty bucks. Yes, Sonia talked about how y'all would eat the nastiest things. She talked about like eating like bugs, worms, yep. cockroaches, all these nasty things that he would have y'all do for money. Because y'all were so desperate, y'all were so dependent on him, really, yeah. in every aspect. Yeah. That's that's what he wanted and created sure. in that situation, unfortunately. And what were people's reactions to this humiliation and these things he would make y'all do? So again, he's created this atmosphere. He's a charismatic leader, which is one of the elements of a cult. Oh, yes. He's created this atmosphere where... Acts such as those are like acts of faith. Like, how bad do you really want it? Um, he talks about, for example, he'll use like Gideon's army and the 300 uh, soldiers who yeah. lapped like a dog. In other words, they put their face in the water uh, and lapped like a dog. And those are the 300 men that God used to defeat an army of thousands. And he he would try to tie... Uh, Bible into it. His, yes, his, yeah. his fantasies, his narcissistic, just world race created 
in, yeah. or, in, in order to, to justify and repurpose what is really going on. Wow. Yeah, that is just so insane to me because when I was talking to Sonia last week, it just irks me just to even think of that. And at this point in my life, I work for Rachel Bernstein. She's a cult expert. And she has the indoctrination podcast. And sorry, my dog. Okay. Is this day? Who thought this happened last night? It should begin a sec. But but as I've worked for her and as I've learned about cults and really cult leaders, they usually have narcissistic personality disorder. Or they have antisocial personality disorder. One of those is usually what they have. And they just have this natural, like, knowledge of how to psychologically manipulate people. And a big part of that is they really don't have empathy. They don't have a conscience. So when you don't have that, you can literally do anything to anyone. And as long as you can get away with it. Because, like, narcissists, psychopaths. Like, they know there are consequences for what they do, that they don't really care about what they do, but they just don't want to get caught. And so Cheney just created this awful situation where everyone is financially dependent on him, but dependent for basically food and shelter, and their whole community really is in this. So every need that they have is in this church and on him so he can make y'all do whatever he wanted y'all to do and right. he really groomed the members into buying into his charisma into buying into his justifications for all these terrible things as spiritual really using spirituality or spiritually abusing people really and taking it psychologically and physically and sexually just using yeah, spirituality abuse in all kinds of horrible ways. And so, like, how did you get away? How did you get out of that cult? Yeah, that's, I think my story is probably unique, different than pretty anyone you would, you would interview. You, and you may be, if you haven't already, you may be interviewing my ex-wife, Cherie. And Cherie and I, that we were married and that, that was my wife we were going and she ended up sleeping with him as many of the other women were yeah. the greatest strength and the most brilliant thing you can do to gain your liberty is to expose whatever secret may be out there because that's how he operated he operated in secrecy and confusion to divide and conquer okay that's the reason why women and men couldn't like fraternize or whatever, because you might start learning things other people did. But in 2006, Cherie was determined to leave the church and everything like that. And I didn't know why. I was like, something's going on. Something's going wrong. Now, I had already planned on stepping down because I saw how this impacted my family. I also really saw how what he was doing brought out the worst in people. It was like every, like survival of the fittest, like every man for himself. It's like people were so destitute. They were so like, just so down, financially downtrodden. 
I remember having to scrape up money to buy Pampers for my one of my daughters, right? And I was asking people, and I knew they had money, and they said, "Oh no, I can't help you." And I said, "But I my and I've helped you know these people before." No, I I don't ha I don't have it, man. I'm so sorry. And I knew at that point I wasn't even mad at them because I understood that we were all in this like this same situation, right? So everyone just was walking around at this point like with a chip on. No one was truly happy. And so my 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 wife, my ex-wife, she that was probably what was going on with her too. She definitely looked unhappy, didn't seem like herself. And she finally left, right? She left and uh, as fate would have it, I was leaving the like the next month or stepping down the next month, but she left like the month before. I, that, she left in December. I was planning to step down January 1st. It's like, I'm just, a, I'm going to work. I can make money. I have skills, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we stayed separated for a couple of months and finally we got back on speaking terms and, that's when she told me, she was like, I slept with Bernard Cheney. And I was like, wow, it was confirmation of not specifically her, but of the things that have been going on. Like someone that I know and that I could trust, right? Now, I was in leadership, so I've seen all these people leave. You know what the mistake that everyone did? They confronted him before they left. Oh. So, now, remember I said, oh, he's this prophet and he knows more yeah. than what you've told him? He only knows more than what you told him because someone else has told him for yes. you. Yes. Okay? Yes. So, he packages it in a way as if he has this anointing. And maybe he does have this talent or gift that God gave him. I, I'm not going to say completely that that was never there. I'm, I certainly don't believe it is now. But maybe, like, when he's mm -hmm. a little less had less blood on his hands perhaps maybe but certainly by the time i left he had not nothing going on man the mm. man had got yeah. gluttonous and sl started slipping he just he let he he's just led a bad life you could start to tell when people change yeah when she told me that she even told me like pay attention to this person and you will see like what's always been in your face and I did and it happened exactly as he did and it if like self this was like in 07 because cell phones had the video capability back then that it did now yeah he wouldn't be standing because I wanted to take it so I wanted to because I saw him yeah it was a because I was staying at this townhouse because my ex-wife and I we had separated this was like his bachelor pad. It was like half a mile from the church. I would walk up to the church, whatever. Yeah. And I saw a young lady get in the, in the car or come in. She came in. She picked up the, a key. It's the same key that I put down that I was required to put at the desk every mm -hmm. morning when I come to, because I worked in, in security around the church. Yeah. Okay. So sure enough, like clockwork, just like my ex-wife said, that key was gone. I walked back to the townhouse. His black BMW was there, right? I wanted so bad to go bust up in there, you know what I mean? But nobody would believe me if I did because I had an extra key. I took the extra key. 
about her drawer. But nobody would believe me if I did. So I was like, yeah, this is the icing on the cake for me. So I was almost like giddy excited because I, I, I went back and I got in contact. I said, I told my ex-wife, meet me at this, uh, this parking lot or whatever, catacorner from the church, told her everything that happened. And she was like, I told you. I was like, yeah, I believe you. I don't have any reason to believe you. I'm so sorry. Everything happened mm -hmm. the way it did. So she was like, what are you going to do? I said, of course, I'm leaving. I came with my family. I'm leaving with my family. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, man, what are you going to tell them? I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so he had a church in North Carolina, and their Bible study was on Thursday. They did church on Sundays, and he had a pastor installed mm -hmm. down there. But they had low attendance on the Bible studies. Yeah. So he had the travel team basically do church Wednesday night. Church would let out at like midnight, one o'clock uh, on a Wednesday with kids. Wow. Had the kids staying wow. up. Yeah. So he told us, hey, every Wednesday night, pack your bag because we're going to just stick around the church slash daycare slash academy that we have to break up and set up and break down and just like this multi-purpose space right yeah. and by the time we would break down and set up for daycare in the morning it's two or three o'clock anyway we'd have our bags there most of the time again i've heard you say in previous podcasts lack of lack of food lack of mm -hmm. rest causes you to become delirious and not yeah. able to think clearly Right. Yeah. So the trap, most people were on a fast, like fast until further notice. I'll tell you when you can eat. But yeah. the travel team, they were allowed to just eat. They didn't have to. So people were like clamoring to become part of this travel. Uh, team. Yeah. But you always had to like come up with money to travel with him, to do to work. Basically, <laughs> you had to pay him oh, to, for the privilege of working for him. Oh, right. Yeah. So I knew that, okay, I said, I packed all everything up and there was a, so much that I left behind, but I don't, this is probably the biggest piece of satisfaction that I had from being at church. So I packed my bag and of course my ex-wife, she was no longer going to the church, but she had relatives that did and not know. Oh. And I packed my bag like I was leaving out of, out of town and I said, hey, Red, can you drop me off at, at Vera's house really quick? I'm going to get a ride back. It was like, oh, you're not going to North Carolina? I said, oh, yeah, I just, I'm just going to, I just need to do something. Miss Vera was my former mother-in-law. And so I got dropped off and they never saw me again. I never told anyone. Yeah. They were looking for me. Like everyone in leadership was like, J. Cole is missing. Something happened. And I loved it. I loved it. You want to know why? <laughs> there was nothing. See, be Whenever someone left, yeah. they would always confront him. Like, you slept with my wife or yeah. taking, you're not doing right with the money. What would happen? He would run right to leadership and say, Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, brothers, he's about to fall off. He's getting weak. So when they actually do leave, uh -huh. he looks like mm. it's validated, right? Yeah. yeah. It is, after a while, I caught on and I was like, oh, no. So if I leave, I'm going to make sure he looks stupid in the face. Cause yeah. Because I wasn't, yeah. at that time, it wasn't like, I wasn't at odds with anyone. 
was one of the senior deacons by that time. I was close. I was on the security team. Yeah, you, you saw me. I collected the money, all of that good stuff, right? So for me to just up and disappear, I knew that would create controversy. And it did exactly what I hoped it would do, was it caused people to question. Oh, yeah. What happened to Jay? What? Where did he go? So about 30 days later, he finally, I'm, at that time, I'm living in South Carolina. I'm living Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, yeah, that's where I live right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Taylor. Yeah, I live down Wade Hampton. Taylor's. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. That's so I'm living with my mom, and say, so he called, and it's like Bernard was like, and I call him Bernard because that is the best form of disrespect. <laughs> it wants to be called Shaney or Pastor or uh, okay. I call him Bernard. He's lucky I don't call him Bernie. Okay. <laughs> Bernard calls and says, so what's up, man? Did you need a break or something or whatever? I said, he said, when are you coming back? I'm saying, I'm not coming back. He's like, you mean not coming back? In his mind, he couldn't fathom. Uh, Why? Because he's thinking, I need the church. You need, the, your stuff is here. You no, once my family left, that was my stuff. Yeah. That was my stuff. Once my, my wife, my ex-wife left with my kids, that I had no value. There was nothing there. Yeah. I left stuff, left possessions. I didn't care. Yeah. I didn't have any peace being there. I felt incomplete at that time. So that was how I left. I just up and left. a lot of people were just all I put into this ministry. You could at least mm. pay for my plane ticket or give me some money to get back. I didn't need none of that. I did. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I talked to people years later. It was, it was very gratifying. I won't lie. <laughs> I won't lie. Oh, yes, it sounds like it. Wow. And so I'm just curious, do you still live in South Carolina now, or where do you live? No, actually, I live in, in Georgia. I live in Georgia? Uh, okay. Gosh, Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah, so yeah, I'm glad you were able to escape and become successful. And do you know anyone else who is trapped in that church still that you care about, or... Yes, I do, actually. And uh, trapped is a good word for it because they're mentally trapped. They're psychologically yeah, they trapped. They don't realize that. They they feel that there's nothing better. Yeah. Going back to something that you said, these sociopaths and psychopaths, if I greeted you, Andrew, and I stuck out my hand to give you a handshake, right? I don't expect for you to smile and say, oh, hey, it kicked me in the nuts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But that's exactly what happens when you're dealing with a sociopath. You think it wouldn't make sense at all for them to do what they do. Like, why would you do that, right? It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. Why would you hurt me with a smile on your face? If you didn't like me, you would say something, right? Yeah. But... That's not what drives a psychopath or a sociopath or anyone with, with these personality disorders. Yeah. So the reins are off. So they'll do, like you said, most of us, we do know something that could hurt someone, but we are, we're scrupulous. And so we don't elect that. That just doesn't set right for us. It doesn't set right for me. Even if I didn't like you, Andrew. Yeah. I come up and smile and just punch you in the chest as, as uh, when I just met you. And okay. so it, it's, that's exactly what happens. It happens on the onset. He, pla he, 
he is a predator and he plans to use you. As soon as he sees you and gets to know you, it seems yeah. so friendly, so endearing. From the moment he meets you, he's finding ways to use you because he's a predator and that's yeah. what predators do. And he's very calculating, like very calculating, like years. He'll plan something out for years and just um, be pa very patient. And so these people, they're still caught like in the matrix of things and thinking that this actually wasn't a punch in the chest or a kick in the nuts. Like they really do still think that it was a handshake. And it all comes down to the beginning. Yeah, the slow grooming and the control that he did. And I know a big part of this story, and I know what your group is trying to do is I know, especially get justice for the kids who have yeah. been abused at the school and they want the school shut down. What all do you know about that situation at the school? Again, he, Bernard knew he was very calculating and very meticulous mm -hmm. how he used people. Yeah. And so I, I did security at the daycare, had no part of the school. Okay. Now let me fast forward. I left that church in 2007 and I got my life together. I got my life back and, and everything. And I went to school and reconnected with my family and yeah. long story short in 2020, I knew that the, the, the Voice of Believers Christian Academy was just a tool for control, right? Because you can't have your, you can't go to public school, have these leaders that go for that you're going to public schools and they're falling asleep because they don't get to bed till one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to draw yeah. attention, right? And he doesn't want that. Yeah. So it's not about education. It's about extending and continuing mm. control and mm. to be able to rule with an iron fist. Yeah. That way, hey, if one of the leader's kids, which he definitely played favorite, had a lot of favoritism. Yeah. Hey, if they fall asleep in, in church, it's under, in school, it's understandable, right? Mm. You were in church last night, so of course, yeah, somebody's going to let you sleep, right? That in and of itself was bad stuff. Didn't mm. know about other things. Fast forward to 2020, Sonia Morris comes and Sonia, of course, lost her daughter and um, her daughter kept a diary and the diary had a lot of just heartbreaking content in it where she, the things that she went through, how she felt and those things resonated because being a member of the church, I could see that happening. Yeah. You'll see some of it, but get, from her perspective, it was mm. eerie. And so when I found out about the, I don't like Bernie. I don't like Bernard at all, right? Not friends. Yeah. I led a march to his house, to his front door. He didn't uh -huh. open up. It's, yeah. it's cool. It's okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I'm a man of integrity and wanted to face the person who I had an issue with. Right. Yeah. Not in a violent way. I would talk to him, but he was a coward, of course. Yeah. And so he didn't come out. But in 2020, fast forward, I'm an attorney now. Right. Wow. Okay. And so when I hear about the abuse, oh, I said, oh, that's it. Now, I'm in my own world. My life has been healed and habilitated. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a very good space. You know, I have a family. My kids are doing great. 
right? Mm -hmm. I had no reason to go backwards. And to be quite honest, and I know it sounds bad, but if it wasn't for the interconnectivity of social media, I would forget a lot yeah. of it happened because I lived so much life afterward. Yeah. And going to school and going to mm -hmm. law school and being being able to become more cultured and have a greater understanding of things. Mm -hmm. But when I heard that, I I had already I had in my mind, I want to prosecute this guy. Yeah. I just I don't know a way. And but what I found that not only did it struck a chord with me emotionally, yeah, because I knew I the Morrises. I know the Morrises. Those were kids. I cause I don't remember. I see little kids. Yeah, that's it. So I put a video out, and I don't. I'm not as big on social media as other folks are. The video gained a lot of traction. Yeah. And now Sh Shawana had uh, brought something up about it, but because of the society that we live in, and I think because of my previous position at the church, when I came on, because the society I'm living, people, when a woman says one thing, they may or may not listen. When a man says something in, in this space, right, yeah. they take it much more seriously. So I got calls from these former ministers, current ministers, min children of ministers, all, all of this. And I'm like, hey, I'm an officer of the court. You don't have to explain it to me. I, there's nothing that I can do because I have to allow the rule of law to take place, which is due process. So, do, you know, due process, hey, the law enforcement has to handle it. And then it'll get to, so it's a it's been a slow roll, but that's when I first heard about it and I got involved. Cause like I said, I was on my own island, so to speak, and li like living my life. But I don't regret getting involved at all. Yeah, and so I know there is a private investigator involved right now. Do you know any progress that he's made at all? In this case, I have not. So we we what happened was we've met with law enforcement. We've met with each other, and this is a pronged attack. And so I don't know much about the school, so I'm not. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to what I know. Whenever a person comes under investigation. Once there is enough evidence to basically violate your Fourth Amendment by placing uh -huh. you under arrest, yeah. it opens up Pandora's box. Because there's no, okay, we can only search this. Like, if you're arrested, they're taking your car, they're taking, yeah, not just, they're going to pop in your truck. Yeah, because there's probable cause, right? And yeah. there's no lines there. So, yeah. biggest crime was money was money he he collected everything no checks tried not to trace anything all mm. cash so he avoided taxes right yeah we have i'm gonna speak on everything we have enough to, and the authorities have enough to uh -huh. do something yes it's not the type of something that we want right but we're on the mm. cusp we need that little extra push maybe mm -hmm. to, to get awareness and really to put pressure, uh, right? Um, yeah. 
Uh, you know, this is America, and, and uh, unfortunately, not only we're dealing with the supposed separation between church and state, which makes things hard from yep. a legal perspective, uh -huh. but historically, when it comes to crimes against black or people of color parishioners versus white parishioners, mm -hmm. it, you, we often see that people of color don't get, they're not as visible as those of our white counterparts, our brothers and sisters. And we know that's a reality. That's just what we're dealing with. And it's about, it's all about the perception of things. I think people, they autumn, he slept with a lot of people, women, men, yo, know, just, yo, know, people with old, young. I don't, that's not what I'm here for. And because that is such a, a sensitive subject for a lot of the people that went to that church, a lot of them are standoffish. They don't want, some people, a lot of people have moved on and they, they have developed lives and have left that life behind. And they haven't told the people who they, some of these women they married, they haven't been open and honest about that part that saying, hey, this person used me for sex for years while I went to this church. They don't want to do that. And so I'm very sensitive about, about that. But more importantly, that's just not my lane. But the money is. And so that that is where I am focused. So the things that I do is focused on 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 that. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly how far the mm -hmm. private investigator has gone into yeah. that that prong, mm -hmm. but yeah. but I'm anxious to to find out. Um and so I know you said you feel like they have enough and to really do something. And you're saying how you feel like if there was more pressure for them to act, that they would. And do you think that, like, they don't want to really do anything? Because it is really touchy when it comes to the separation of church and state, like you were saying. And I was talking to my guardians recently, and they were talking about how it is so tragic of how these abusive pastors can get away so much because it's like because they just say religion or religion is involved it's like some protector that can protect them from any accountability for anything that they've done wrong because there's just so much sensitivity around it and america really i feel like takes it way too far because everyone has the right to believe whatever they want but you can because it protects beliefs but it doesn't protect actions if you believe if you have a crazy belief, like, oh, I believe, like, I'm going to kill people for my God. Sorry, you can't do that. That's too far. Like, you can believe what you want, but it doesn't protect your actions. And there is a line. And I feel like when it comes to abuse, people are so afraid, really, I guess, afraid of these powerful organizations, worried about even, like, all these crazy-ass churches across America who, if they hear something of this, or if there's investigation that they might get angry or protest or try to act like they're under attack when there are so many churches out here like the one that you were at where people are suffering in silence and they're being abused and they're trapped i'm really trying to do the best that i can to help y'all get justice and get awareness of the situation 
And so I've been planning like an activist campaign for the last, I'm going to be for the next few weeks and it will launch when this series is premieres. And I know already, like in, I already, I've created a webpage on my website and I'm updating it a lot to add in different things. And I've put different journalists to contact and I'm going to start putting like local newspapers in Virginia for people to contact. And do you think, now I'm thinking that maybe I should even put like the police department number <laughs> in here to get people just to call if yeah. they can. And just, and do you feel like that would make a difference if they just got called? And, and if people did call, what should they even say? What do you feel like people should say to the police? Very, thank you. First of all, thank you for that first question I want to answer. Yes, any bit, little bit would help. Little mm -hmm. bit, a lot of bit, whatever. Yeah. Uh, when they call, it's very simple. Uh, I have reason to believe that there are people, particularly children, who attend this church, who is at risk, their health, safety, and welfare is at risk. And they say how in particular, say this church has a history of telling their parishioners, which includes children, right? to give up all of their worldly possessions, give it to the church and sleep at the church, do things that present, show this act of faith, right? But the reality is that this is, this is not what is acceptable in our society. If the church was laid out with beautiful bunks and things of that nature, it'd be different, but they're sleeping on old secondhand pews or whatever. Right. Health, safety and welfare at risk, not just for adults, but for children as well. That's important. OK. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I've been I've been thinking about different ways to bring attention. And I've already tried to call a few newspapers today. None of them answered. But I'm hoping because I've researched Bernard Cheney and he's not in any news article at all period no one has reported on what he's done in the news like in an article at least and i'm like are you like and i i what i do find of him online is so many social media posts of people like calling him out for his abuse but no one has done anything in the media and there's a private investigation but still nothing has been done yet and i think it is really sad in these kinds of situations how we really have to try so hard to get justice we like they should be it should automatically happen these people should be doing their jobs and they shouldn't be scared because it involves religion yeah so the key the key issue is the elephant is in the room is sex between consenting adults mm -hmm. and a lot of the key players a lot of the people who know the most can provide the most information have also been sexually intimate. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah. And again, Andrew, they've gone on, they moved on from the church and uh, lived their lives. And, and it's like, they know it's wrong. They know that it might be happening to somebody else, but it's trauma. It's church trauma. Yeah. And they don't want to relive that. Yeah. We have to work with what, you know, what we have. And it's, 
there there are some people who still have who may know things but still have family that goes there and they don't want to rock that boat i have come to the resolve though that you have to be fearless i mm-hmm. i can't yeah i i can't be lukewarm i have to be either yeah. hot or cold either i'm gonna yeah. do this or i'm not and so for yeah. me, i'm gonna do it and i'm swinging this axe i hope you're not in the way but if you are i'm let me apologize in advance because this axe is getting slung you yeah. understand what i'm saying yeah so I, I hate that people get hurt. And I know that maybe I share a unique, I, I have a unique advantage because my ex-wife came out and said, hey, this is what happened. This is what I did. I'm not yeah. ashamed of it. I was brainwashed, led to believe yeah. that what I was doing was actually something that was helping. No, What nobody wants to do and everybody seems to blur is to just get in to the whole sex between consenting adults. Yeah. And there's more to it than that. Yeah. You understand? Oh, yeah. The issue is separating. Everyone wants things black and white, but the gray matter uh-huh. is where yeah. things are most critical. That's the thinking space. And yeah. so we have to dig into that gray matter before we can begin to separate. Yeah. So the biggest thing that people can do is if anybody is out there listening, yeah. And you gave money, a significant amount of money, it could be a little bit, could be a lot. If you gave to that church, he told you, don't write a check, give me cash. You can file an affidavit. You can go to the bank, get a receipt of, I took this money out, submit an affidavit and said, I gave this money to the church, believing that this would happen. They don't have a church anymore. Bernard has is try we believe bernard is trying to transition out of believers house world my ministries international whatever he is now yeah into another church of one of his under daryl jackson and when you go it's to their website or listen to what they're doing everything they like everything is the same it's just a different name just a different label yeah I don't know if you ever been overseas. When you ever, if you ever go overseas, you'll see cars that look just like a a Toyota Camry, yeah, or a Dodge Charger, but it'll uh-huh. name something different. Yeah, it'll have a different name, and it's the, it's exactly what's going on now. It's the same vehicle with a different name on it, and it all you when it comes to the finances, especially because the more you gave, probably the angry you angrier you are. Yet their bank can go back and say, "I made this big withdrawal." That, so what he did was he had campaigns, right? These phases of bi- the build a dome and these different phases, right? This is well known. So if in 2006, he says, we're going to build a dome, we're in phase 1A. And you took $10,000 out of your bank in 2006. And you write an affidavit showing the history, your transaction history from the bank said, I took this money out. Guess what? He took that money and he put it toward things. He funneled it to other things. So he funded it through the church. They didn't have to pay taxes to things for his personal gain, for his personal use. And that is a violation of the law because we have a relative who doesn't like his name is Sam. He's our uncle. Yeah. He wants his cut. Yeah. And so as we get 
towards the end of this interview, what else would you like people to do to help the situation? What could other people do besides calling the police station and giving them that message? What other things can they do? Being active on praying is great, but being active on social media is very effective. But more importantly, what Believer's House and Bernard Cheney, I think is they're on their last, like their glory days are over and they're still, but there's still people there. And that's, yeah. and knowing what those who went through, what they went through and came out, yeah. you know, how critical it is for to get the those la the remnant out, yeah. um, especially after things that we've heard of upset sexual intercourse with 16 year old uh, kids, yeah. all this crazy stuff uh, right yeah. and so we have to give it some credence because of his history yeah but being on social media but also changing the way we view church and what it means they, these aren't kings these are special mm. people we're all special in, in god's eyes and we all have unique gifts yeah. and we're all here for a reason right and divorcing this preconceived notion that having a title, especially in the South, that having a church title some somehow puts you in a different yeah. category. Often, yeah. Oftentimes we lower the standard for pastors and we give them leeway yeah. for whatever mm -hmm. reason. When in reality, it probably, if the standard is going to move it, it should be raised. Like, yeah. you mm -hmm. should be beyond reproach. Now that give it a pass all the time. Yeah. So changing the way we view things so that the next believer's house won't pop up or we can yeah. put a stop to LDS or Nexium or yeah. all of yo, know, all of these other yeah. cults. I study cults, studied for years now yeah. and the anatomy of cults and yeah. how they form in the different mm. three different types yeah. so like have being proactive. Because I believe that it's just a matter of time, but the, their strength in numbers. Yeah. Be staying vigilant, be getting that word out. Don't trust, just because it is a title doesn't mean you trust them at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think definitely educating yourself on cults is very important. And, and for me personally, like I, I've been like, I want to be a therapist and I've been just a psychologist and I do also want to become a cult expert. And to help people basically do cult recovery and do interventions with people to help them escape. Because it's very common in the U.S. and around the world, really, and but no one really talks about it. And going back to what you were saying earlier about how we're ignoring the gray area when it comes to, like, in quotes, consenting adults. And I recently just finished a book by Stephen Hassan, which I'm sure you've heard of him. He's a cult expert. He's written a ton of books on that. He left the Moonies years ago. He escaped that, and that's what kind of inspired him to become a cult expert. But in his book, he was basically, he it was called Combat Combating Cult Mind Control. That was the name of the book. And he created a model called a BITE model. Uh, just It was an acronym for behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotion control. And just he talked about the different ways that cults control these different aspects of and how it controls us and how we get entrenched into it. And he basically was saying how mind control is not really acknowledged in our legal system of 
they don't act like it's something that's possible because in our system it has to be okay did this person physically make you do this they chain you up physically and do slave labor or something and Stephen Hassan like he argues that we really need to like on a psychological level understand the mind control aspect and even in his book he talks about Jonestown and how that happened and how the U.S. investigated and the mind control things that Jones was using and Stephen Hassan he calls out the U.S. government because he's like they're trying to prosecute this cult but behind the scenes the CIA they were doing their own mind control things with MK Ultra and causing so much harm to so many people and they're pretending like it didn't happen at all and the government has done a lot of terrible things that just people just don't talk about and so that's why Stephen Hassan is we have to like get mind control have people educated really in mind control and how the mind works when it's subjected to psychological tactics and I think it's just it's harder because it's more of an intangible thing I guess you would say so it makes it hard for people I realize but it is something that happens and as Stephen Hassan argues that you can basically I guess you would say you really lose your identity and you really lose your free will in a way you're basically like mentally I guess you would say enslaved to this person through these different techniques and he's studied these things for so many years and he's still continuing to help people leave cults and really deprogram honestly because of all the years that they were indoctrinated and so i want to thank you jay for coming on the show and just i want to give you one last chance if there's anything else that you would like to say yeah, I want to thank you, first of all, before we go any further, for yeah. just shedding light on all of the... It's, it's admirable that you would dedicate your life and mm -hmm. develop a profession helping others yeah. escape. That is very noble. Mm -hmm. I think that you, what we need to understand is that uh, religion is a man-made structure. Um, okay. And in Western culture, Christianity, which is what we deal with, now yeah much of it is is built around the fact that we have deep-seated emotional insecurities and and the most of the cults are based upon judgment we judge it we put it on the scale it's us against um. them and and but it, it really comes down to, to judgment and most most of the churches, not just cults, people okay. want to judge. Christians love judgment as much as America loves its guns, and they don't want to let it go. No. But uh, the real issue is that Western culture Christians are insecure in their salvation with God. And so in order to create a separation, to feel that it's validated, they must pass judgment. They have to be able to pass judgment. And that's where it starts. I go to a church now that the, the there is no, the, you don't know the name of the pastor. Unless someone oh. tells you. He doesn't have yeah. a parking spot. He uh -huh. doesn't have a special place to sit. Mm. He do, and when he does say, he says, I'm one of your pastors here. Do, ju just deprogram it. That's a mm. form of deprogramming. Yeah. So whenever you see those telltale signs of some separations 
if you start seeing all these signs that reserved for this and it, 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 getting offerings and birthday wishes and all that, yeah. that is the that could be the beginning of a cult. And to stay, yeah. you know, keep your loved ones away from that, please. Yeah. And if you know something, encourage them to connect with family. Do things that friends and family can do tailored to those who are in church. So make it wholesome mm -hmm. or PG, so to speak. Anything to keep them, if you love them, to keep them out. I don't care if they are an adult. We were all adults. Yeah. And we're all mm. duped. We were we all extended our hands and got punched in the mm. chest in return. But thank you. I appreciate it. Oh yes. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm happy to help. This is part of what I do and I grew up and it's interesting because I would say and what I want to explain to people like the word cult is not a black and white term. It's it is a spectrum. There are right. all kinds of cults. And I would say what you were a part of was like on the far extreme of the spectrum. So for anyone, I'm like, just because you don't experience all these terrible, awful things doesn't mean that you're not in a cult. There are different, still, it can be less severe. And even looking back on my life, I realized that I grew up in a cult, basically. <laughs> when I look sure. back at the science, like I didn't know it when I was in it <laughs> as a child. And but listen... I listened, I listened to a few of your shows. The first show that you, your first episode, when you told me, when you said that Bob Jones was more laid back than whatever, I knew you were in deep. I was like, wow, they probably dress like Little House on the Front. Because if you've been to, like, if you anyone who's been to Greenville, South Carolina, and yeah. you traveled, down as that what you know i think it's wade hampton and then it branches off and it that corner there and you see someone actually coming off the you don't really see them too much when you yeah. see them coming off the campus from bob jones uh -huh. they are like really i don't know if y'all get in trouble for not having your shirt pressed or what <laughs> but they are like on the straight and narrow, like nothing yeah. wrong, super clean. I got to let you know that I live a certain lifestyle. Yeah. If your family was encouraging you to go to something more Worse. stringent than Bob, yeah. you, know, the, yeah, you were in a full blown <laughs> cult, man. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> it was pretty bad, but yeah. Oof, yeah. And I even argue too, like even Bob Jones, it has his own cult-like nature too. Like it's his whole ass thing. Like it's even sure. as I've... I think to anyone, again, like knowledge is power. Learning about these dynamics and you'll have these eye-opening moments once you actually get out of it and educate yourself on it. And I'll put links in the bio of each episode for people who want to look into free cult education and cult resources because this thing just, this doesn't just apply to religion. It can apply to political movements it can apply to relationships like a cult leader like that's a narcissistic relationship like it can be one-on-one -on -one between two people you can have that kind of situation yeah. and sadly with trafficking a lot of traffickers use a lot of these cult leader tactics to get victims too so like it's very permeated these abuse tactics in our culture yeah. in different ways so i think it's important definitely for people to realize how it spreads across in these different areas but yeah it bleeds over and it's it, pimping it's yeah, no pimping. different 
Yeah. It, it's not, it's no different. The cult of the brand loyalty, like Apple, like you can't yeah. have a phone without having an Apple or a laptop without mm-hmm. being a Mac or well, yeah. there's nothing wrong. I have those things, but yeah. there are people who don't acknowledge and don't consider. And it's, it seems, that seems minuscule, but you see the same characteristics. So no, mm-hmm. no, this, no disrespect to the fruit company, but because, uh, <laughs> like I said, I got all those those products. So yeah, but I, you can see it. What it is what I'm saying? And I just want to ask you, Andrew, is there anything that we can do for you? I, I can do for you. I would love to to help you help others. I guess what I would say is that when this campaign gets out, to really help share it with as many people as possible. And really, once it comes out, I'm going to like post instructions in the Unbelievable House group and really have people push. And by the time the campaign is ready, like when that page is ready, it's going to be really easy to, I'll have several steps for people to follow this campaign and spread awareness to this. Yeah. So that would just be such a help to, I think if everyone in the Unbelievable House group, all 190 something people like share with so many different people, like it would just... That would be amazing, I think, and what the campaign could do. And I know, like, y'all are, I think it was, how do you say her name? Was it Shawana, you said? Yes, Shawana. Shawana. Yeah, our champion. Yeah, I love Shawana. I do. Yeah, she's incredible. And I know she's talked about how there's, y'all are probably going to do a protest soon. Tested a few times. Yeah, so they're hoping to do another one. So I'm hoping I can get involved with that somehow when that happens. Badly. Yeah, I would love to, and definitely to come up there and meet all of y'all because y'all inspire me so much through all the terrible things that y'all went through and y'all stayed so resilient are are continuing to fight for justice and fight for those who are still trapped in that environment, really. But yeah, yeah. thank you again for coming on the show. I really enjoyed getting to know all of you and I think, I'm not sure how many more interviews I'll have, but I'll keep them like how many ever people y'all want to come on. Y'all come on. Yeah. Come in. Absolutely. You know, ask me there's a lot to talk about. And yeah. I know I rambled and try to keep it, but there, there's so there's so much to delve into. Yeah. And I hope that others would contribute and be able to really paint a thorough picture. It, it's really a serious matter. Much of the damage has already been done. But yeah. the problem right now is that, that it's still going. I was shocked yeah. when I found out, but yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Oh, yeah. So for listeners, by the time this comes out, there will be links where you can do to help this campaign. Please click the link, follow the steps, and share on social media. Thank you for listening. 